0: This is episode 35 of the 99 Forever Podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me on the show tonight to recap the Oilers' offseason so far is Ty Jones. Ty, thanks for doing this.
1: Good to be here, man.
0: Yeah, man, it's great to finally have you on the podcast. Uh, I know we've talked for a while on Twitter, but uh, how's your summer just been going overall?
1: Oh, it's been chaos, working like crazy, and uh, this is my last day of uh, two week Vacation stint We went camping twice. Taught two kids how to ride two wheelers. <laughs>
0: nice. Have you have you been golfing a lot? I I just got out for I think the third time this summer on Sunday, and it was you know pretty good weather over the weekend, so wanted to take advantage of that.
1: I golf probably more than someone with two kids under six should golf. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I get a I get a fair bit in. I got a membership in golfing here, so.
0: Nice. Well, yeah. uh, I uh, I've broken a hundred every uh, round out so far, so that's uh, a pretty good start to the season for me. Uh, I think you're a little bit of a better golfer, though. What's uh, what's your lowest score so far this season?
1: Actually, my lowest score is my first round this year. I
0: shot seventy five. Wow. <laughs> Well, I, I dream of uh, I dream of breaking 80 at least once in my life, but <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. I've been golfing for over 20 years now and uh, any time I can get under 90 is a really good score for me.
1: So, yeah, the golf gods got to look down on you when you shoot good like that, I guess.
0: Oh, <laughs> absolutely. I, I'm, I'm guessing that you've put in a lot more time to it than uh, I do. You really have to be like consistently out there to get good at golf.
1: Yeah, I've taken a pile of lessons, too. It helps. okay.
0: And I you were telling... Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, I used to be pretty good in high school, but... Oh, know, okay. And I rebuilt it. It's okay now.
0: Yeah, like, my dad started me golfing when I was about 11. He, he didn't uh, swing a golf club for the first time until he was 25, so he wanted me to kind of have an earlier start to try and... Become a a bit of a better golfer, and i'm I'm still not as good as he is even to this day. so that's uh, that's <laughs> something that i'm I'm aiming to beat him at least one time, and and he's sixty five now, so maybe as he gets older, my odds are going to increase,
1: yeah, the odds will increase for sure.
0: um and you were telling me an interesting story uh, before the podcast. You golfed with uh, Jordan Everly's dad one time, or you met Jordan Everly's dad on the golf course,
1: yeah, we got paired up just a random pairing. me, and my father in law went out and uh, this guy and his his buddy were out. We got paired up. So anyways, uh yeah, I was on the first team I'm like, this guy kinda looks familiar. We chatted away and I have a Oilers golf towel and an Oilers head cover and my bag is Oilers cover. It's pretty obvious, right? Yeah. He goes, uh, Oh, you an Oilers fan? Anyways, we're chatting it up and he's telling me stories about alumni golf tournaments he went to and some funny Funny stories and stuff, and it but it kind of revolved around the Flames a little bit. And like he said, "Oh yeah, Jordano was there and stuff." And then I was like, "So are you a you know a Flames fan?" Or well, my uh my son played for the Letters for seven years. Do you you know Jordan Everly? <laughs> I'm like, dude, every Canadian hockey fan knows Jordan Everly. He's a world. Yeah. Hero.
0: You don't even have to be an Oilers fan to recognize that name, but it's like, yeah, I, I remember the guy who led the team in scoring three times. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, you know, it's,
1: we miss him. That's for sure.
0: Oh yeah, he was um, he was one of my favorite players during his time in Edmonton. It's it's a shame he's still not a part of this team because, you know, you you look at the the kind of player they gave up, I, and I know getting Ryan Strome was. You know a a useful ad, and and I think the Oilers also gave up on him too too quickly. Those are two bad trades by Peter Shirelli. But um, mm-hmm. I, I just think if the Oilers could, had a consistent twenty goal winger with this current group, you know they'd be even further ahead than they are now. Oh, absolutely. But we won't dive too far down the history of bad Oilers tr- uh, trades. We're <laughs> gonna keep it positive tonight. And, um, you know, I, I, tonight we're, like I said, we're mainly going to discuss the Oilers off season news, but first I'd like to find out just a little about your own hockey background since you're a first time guest on the show. So when did you first get interested in hockey and how did you become a fan of the Oilers?
1: So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, as a kid, I liked all sports. Um, hockey wasn't really that main thing for me. My, my my mom was a huge Montreal Canadiens fan growing up, and then when the Calgary Flames came to town, she she uh, jumped on that bandwagon, right? And because they're close, we li- I grew up south of Calgary, in like uh, pretty close to Lethbridge, between Lethbridge and Medicine Hat, and uh, we always watched the playoff hockey, but didn't really watch a lot of regular season hockey in our house, and so we just cheered for whatever Canadian teams were doing well, right? And I'm a little too young for like the, the battle, of like the real battle of Alberta days, but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of became a, became another fan by just watching, watching a lot of hockey growing up and I liked both teams, right. And then just the way my fan or my friendships grew with people, it, it ended up just drifting towards the others, I guess.
0: But when you were in Calgary, was it tough to be an Oilers fan, especially as a kid? And uh, or how did you manage that?
1: I probably didn't really pick a side until well like college days. I went to college and hat and most of my friends were Oilers fans and some of them were Flames fans, but they were like really there's a, like a weird group of them that were pretty die hard like it didn't matter what happened their team was always the best they didn't like those were the best 28 skaters in the league right <laughs> and like yeah I don't know it just um I don't even know how to explain it really but it, it I never lived in Calgary so okay. maybe a little easier but living in Cochrane is it's a mix I would say just it's still over half Flames fans but there's a lot of Oilers fans in this town, especially young kids, right? Like, McDavid's really, really grown the the fan base, I think.
0: Oh, I can imagine. I mean, I I did live in Calgary when I went to university there, so I know what it's like to be a, an Oilers fan in en- enemy territory. But I also worked at a TV station in Lloydminster one winter, and you would see tons of Oilers jerseys and shirts around town, and that is a little more in the Edmonton area. So I would expect mm. that Lloydminster was a was an Oilers town, but um, not having really spent as much time in Alberta in my life as, as someone like you, you would probably have a better sense of um, where the where the lines are kind of drawn. Where you could say anywhere south of here are Flames fans mostly, and north of here is like Red Deer. Do you think a good uh, a good mark for that?
1: Yeah, I think Red Deer is generally the line that the sort of the geographical line in the sand, right? <clears throat> but uh yeah, Red Deer's Red Deer's a pretty good target for split, I would say, but um outside the further you get in south, the further you get out of Calgary, there the mix gets a lot more. And I'm not sure, I've never lived too far up north. I lived in Edson for a while. There was some uh there was a few Flames fans, but I think most people were Oilers fans in Edson.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So when once you did become a full-fledged Oilers fan, uh, who were uh, one or two of your favorite players?
1: Um. Yeah, well, like I said, I was I was a little young for the glory days, I guess. But uh, I was born in, in 84, so the year they won the first cup, right? Mm-hmm. It was like kindergarten when they won their last cup. The, um, but I, I love the Messier and the Gretzky stories and stuff. And uh, my, actually, my uncle um, was born and raised in uh, St. Albert. And he, apparently, he grew up playing with Messier. And he was a really oh, wow. good guy himself, but he was too small. But he went to, I was told he went to some NHL camps and stuff. Um, but never, he never played. So, but I, I would say my favorite was, was probably like Ryan Smith. Cause that was right around the time yeah. that he really like latched onto the Oilers And I was like, yeah, these are my
0: guys. And see, I'm, I'm only five years younger than you, but you know, I was born just shortly after Gretzky had been traded to the King. So I really have no memory of any of the glory years. I was, you know, way too young or not even alive for most of it. But Uh, Ryan Smith, by the time I started watching hockey seriously in about 96, 97, you know, he was breaking in as as the new, you know, hotshot young player for the Oilers, scoring 39 goals in his first full season. And from there, just became the face of the franchise for the next decade. So for kids my age, who were Oilers fans, that would have been, you know, obviously their guy, but even fans a little bit older, like yourself, I I can see how Smith would have been their, uh, your favorite player too.
1: It's just the heart and soul thing with him, right? Yeah. Anything to win that guy
0: is, yeah. You know, he, he might not be the most talented player to ever put on an Oilers uniform, but I don't know if anyone ever wore the oil drop with as much pride as Ryan Smith did. I mean, playing for the Edmonton Oilers was everything to him.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. And and I truly believe that that trade caused a lot of the problems that followed. Was yeah. Because it was like the heart went out of the team, right?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there was about 20 games left in the season following the trade in February 2007. And the Oilers went something like 2-16-2, I think, in those last 20 games. Like, it was just a disastrous end and obviously it it wound up with them getting sam gagne was as a high draft pick who you know became a, a fan favorite in edmonton as well but yeah that was a that was a real rough end to the the 06 07 season and, and like you said it kind of was the beginning of the the decade of darkness
1: mm-hmm. it just seemed like uh yeah heart and pride kind of oh, hard finding that team yeah. after that right
0: and you know when i think back to the 2006 stanley cup run it's just, to, to have seen Ryan Smith lift the Stanley Cup over his head in an Edmonton Oilers jersey, <clears throat> you know, even if the Oilers do get another cup one day, and I believe they will in the Connor McDavid era, I'm always still going to be a little disappointed, or maybe a lot disappointed, actually, that uh, I never got to see Ryan Smith lift a cup, because that guy deserved it so much, and it's, it's just a shame that they came up one goal short no 06.
1: Oh yeah it was frustrating we, I, I was working a turnaround in Edson so I was um I was working every I think every game at that final I don't know if I saw any of it.
0: Oh really you were just that busy I guess yeah I was I was writing my grade 11 final exams during a lot of that series so it was a. Uh, it was a bit of a stressful time. You're trying to, you know, study for for these these tests, and it's it's kind of hard to focus when your team's playing in the biggest series of your life. So, um, uh, but still, that that series provided, you know, our generation of fans. Because I think I would pretty still consider us the same generation cl- or close to, uh, you know, the the best hockey memories that we've seen post dynasty, anyway.
1: Yeah, for sure. It was. Uh... <clears throat> I mean I watched every almost every game of that up to that series and then right yeah, we were in the middle of a plant turnaround so we were busy. I remember um the guy that was sitting in the control room, he didn't have a lot to do. He was just kind of monitoring for gas detection and stuff. So he would okay. like every once in a while he'd announce over the radio the score updates and we're like, "No." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've got a PVR at home. Yeah, that I I've never liked when people do that at a at a business if you're if you got the game recorded, but I guess, you know, they have to just do what they think is best. Um, okay, another thing I wanted to ask you about, especially about experiences. Uh, one of the best experiences for any hockey fan is their first NHL game. So, what do you remember about your first Oilers game at Northlands Coliseum?
1: So well, my yeah, my very first hockey game was a Battle
0: of Alberta, but it was in Calgary. Mine too. Not in not. At, mine was in Edmonton, but it was also a Battle of Alberta.
1: Oh, it was so good. Just the atmosphere, right? like you could tell it was yeah it was great i honestly i can't even tell you much about the game we were sitting so close i was in i think it was in oh four and calgary was a pretty good team i remember them announcing oh obviously calgary was a pretty good team they went to the cup finals that year they yeah. um they announced over the thing over the pa that uh, it was the biggest crowd they'd had in it something like 10 years or something right it was they just opened the 300 section back up and they packed the bill it was. It was cool. It was a good game. Um, my first game at uh, what would it have been then? Skyreach Center, maybe, or maybe it was, it was still a-
0: it was still Skyreach in 04, I think. Yeah.
1: In 06 was when I went to my first game in Edmonton, and I watched. Um, it was on my birthday. My friend just he's like, "Hey, man, do you want to go watch a game with me?" I'm Like, okay, and uh, we had the dining room take uh signing room only tickets where you had that little square yeah that you stood on and you had your beer and your burger on the (laughs) on the railing. Right. Uh it was Chicago, which is kind of funny because Chicago I've seen some games where they dominated Chicago and some were Chicago. I've been to a couple of those nine one games that went the other way. (laughs) But yeah uh, there's one five nothing and it was it was awesome. It was great like birthday game for me and that was that was my very first game in Edmonton and I was in 06 so that that's awesome started a um, lot of, I think
0: really yeah my, my first Oilers game was also in 06 uh April 1st exactly um I I remember getting the Friday off school my my mom and dad and sister we all drove out to Edmonton for the for the weekend to see the game and you know the Oilers unfortunately lost 4 to 1 to the Flames but I did get to see George LaRocque win a fight against uh, Chris Simon I believe and that was a uh, that was one of the most you know memorable games that I've ever been to even though they lost just to say it was your you know your first time in an NHL building and um I, I just, uh, I, you know, that it didn't go the way I wanted that night, but the Oilers ended up making it to the Stanley Cup final later that year. So I, I still have tons of great memories from that spring. And yeah, it's just, I, I think every, not just Oilers fan, but hockey fan in general always kind of remembers their first game, unless you were like four or five years old. I mean, you see young kids at, you know, NHL games all the time. They probably won't remember those games. But um, for us being a little bit older, like, you know, in the late teens, early twenties, like you, you'll always remember that.
1: Oh yeah. My son won't remember his first game. He was about probably four months old so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Hey, that's cool. He got his first out of the way early. Um, and uh, how often do you usually go watch the Oilers play at Rogers place now?
1: So I try to get, I try to get at least a couple a year. My father-in-law, he's a big, uh, Oilers fan too. So we, we try to make like a road trip if we do a family thing, that's cool. If not, then me and him just have gone up for a couple. Um, we, um, we, we probably get, I would say we average like three a year, obviously not last year. We were at the very last, no, not the last. We were at the Vegas game, the second last one before COVID happened. And it was like, you could feel it in the building. They, I think that was the game they announced the cancellation of the NBA season, or at least oh, okay. canceled. But you could just feel like all that like excitement, and it was almost like everyone was like, "Should we even be here?" Yeah, <laughs> you, you just knew something was going to change really soon, and it was it was an odd feeling. I yeah, we,
0: there? Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: We go about three, three, four, or five times a year, depending on what we can get to.
0: Yeah, that's the same for me. I try to go to about three or four a year. I I mean, I'm only five and a half hours away in Saskatoon, and um, I was there not too long before the season got postponed as well. It was uh, the February 29th game against Winnipeg, and the ga- the season was canceled, postponed, whatever you want to call it, on March 12th. So, yeah, just just under two weeks before that all went down. And uh, who knew that we were going to be waiting four months again to see the Oilers back on the ice for one week. And then another four months till we saw them back on the ice this past season. Oh,
1: it was crazy. Hey, like it seemed like it, when it happened, we, I think everybody kind of had to thing like, ah, it's going to be a rough couple months, but we'll get through it.
0: Honestly, when I first saw it, I thought, you know what? The NHL is going to take two or three weeks off. This thing is going to pass and we'll be right back to playing. Little did we know or at least I can speak for myself how little I knew that this was going to be a pandemic that was going to last a year and a half. I mean, I couldn't have even imagined that at the time.
1: No, yeah, it definitely turned into something I wasn't expecting at all.
0: (laughs) For sure. And uh, just, I'm guessing the 06 playoff run will be one of your answers to this, but just finally, uh, what are a couple of your best memories of watching the Oilers either on TV or live in person?
1: Yeah, I think... On TV, for sure, the 06 run, I never, I never made it to any, I've never seen the Oilers play in the playoffs and I've made it a, I don't care how much it costs me, I'm going to one. Yeah. Fans are allowed back in and the Oilers are in, um, especially after like 17, I was like, oh, they'll make it every year. And then mm-hmm. that didn't happen. So, um, yeah, so the 06 run for sure on TV was one of my favorites. Um, like Ryan Smith getting his teeth knocked out with a Prawner clearing attempt. Clearing attempt, yeah. Oh, and then he, he, but he's so, like, that just, you could see it lift the team. Like, he just, you can't keep that guy down, right? I
0: think he missed one or two shifts and was right back out there.
1: With no teeth in his mouth. It was crazy. And, uh, yeah, I'd say, like, best live memories was obviously my first game at Rexall or, and uh, opening Rogers Place. We went to the first game. Oh, was, did you
0: where where Gretzky and Messier came out uh, for the opening ceremony? Yeah. So we that were, was awesome on TV, man.
1: We were at uh, where were we? We were in a hotel pretty close. Okay. And we, we so we walked there and then my mother-in-law and wife and uh, my son came after. But me and my father-in-law, we went almost as soon as the place opened, right, which was a couple hours early. Walked around the building forever and, uh, checked it all, just soaked it all in right? And, and I, I
0: remember that. Oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Oh yeah. I was going to say my poor son, he was, I think he was like just wired from all the noise, right? (laughs) Yeah. Four months old and he's kicking in the bed for, oh, uh, it must've been like two, three in the morning by the time he settled down.
0: (laughs) You know, that's a day that I'm always going to remember for a couple of reasons. First of all, Earlier that day, they unveiled the Wayne Gretzky refurbished statue outside of Roger's place. And uh, we heard the news that Gretzky was rejoining the organization after 28 years as vice president of the OEG. And just having Gretzky back, a part of the Oilers organization, I know he left uh, just over a month ago, but um, to have him back... And to watch him cheering during that 2017 playoff run for the Oilers was something, you know, I'll never forget. And I'm so glad that he was uh, back with the team where he spent his most successful years on the ice. And later that night, the Oilers, in the very first game at Rogers Place, de- defeat their provincial rivals 7-4. to McDavid picks up three points, including a penalty shot goal, the first ever in that building. Uh, just Take me through that. What was the atmosphere like as McDavid was skating in on that penalty shot?
1: Oh man, he was. <clears throat> you could just. I swear, when you watch McDavid live, you can just see when it's gonna. You just know what's going in, right? You just get that feeling, and it's yeah. going. The I just the building was so loud. It was like a playoff game. It was cool, and I remember Patrick Maroon. I think scored the very first goal in that building. He did. And I, that was all I cared about. I'm like, please don't let me. And of
0: course, <laughs> I just first- didn't want to lose. I said, you, you can't lose the first game at yeah. Rogers Place to the Flames. I said, if if you have to lose the, the rematch at the Saddledome two nights later, so be it. Which the Oilers also won, thankfully. But you have to win that first game at Rogers Place, and thankfully they did.
1: Oh man, yeah, they did. They did. It was you could just tell that the team had. Uh, There's a lot there, right? Like that team was a good team.
0: It was. That was a. Uh, that was one of the best seasons in Oilers history. I think it was the sixth time that they uh, had recorded at least a hundred points in a season. So, um, you know, if if it wasn't for uh, the the Ducks, you know, turning it on towards late in the season, the Oilers might have won a division title. They were, I think, three points behind them, and the Oilers had a, a great finish too. They were something like twelve and two in the last fourteen games. So, yeah, just uh, that 16 17 season was uh, a season to remember for sure. Uh, well, that's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear uh, a little about your background as a hockey fan. And let's now transition to talking about some of the biggest stories in oil country over the past month. And uh, I think we have to start by discussing the Duncan Keith trade. So, mm-hmm. There had been rumors for a couple weeks leading up to the move that Keith had requested a trade from the Chicago Blackhawks to either the Oilers or the expansion Seattle Kraken to be closer to his son, who lives in B.C. And Ken Holland finally pulled the trigger on the trade last week, sending Caleb Jones and a a conditional third round pick in 2022 to the Blackhawks in exchange for the two-time Norris Trophy winner. Um, Ty... The reaction from Oilers fans on Twitter regarding this trade was mostly negative, to say the least. Um, but I want to get your thoughts on the deal. Uh, so what do you think of the Keith trade overall?
1: Well, I think overall, it's, it's a his experience in Pedigree is definitely something the Oilers need, right? And they lost Caleb Jones, who, regardless of potential or what people think, I feel like Holland and tip it. We're gonna really play him much anyway. So I think Keith hopefully makes the owners a better team. He gives the leadership uh or the the pedigree and some leadership for sure, right? Like this is like not just a um a bottom end player on a great team. He was a he was a major part of this the Black Hawks team, right? Like he I still remember him going into the penalty box and tapping taves on the head and being like come on man and it turned things around right like the guy he's he's a he's a key piece um he's obviously not what he was for sure um i do think the others gave up too much for him maybe like now you have a second and a third locked up that you can't use at trade deadline i think I think the idea again, it's like Larson and Hall, right? The idea was right. But I, I feel like maybe there was an overpayment, maybe, maybe he's, uh, even, even if he can play a good second pairing minutes, now you've, you've got two draft picks. You can't trade at the deadline for pieces that are going to be needed. Hopefully, um, yeah, I, I it's interesting. I think, it's, I think it's something that McDavid wants. I think it's something the team needs. Um, I think right now, has Neil won, did Neil win a cup with Pittsburgh? Like, or is Jason the only one that's won a cup on that team?
0: Uh, no, Neil did not win. He made it to two different finals with uh, the Predators and then the Golden Knights in back-to-back years. Josh Archibald won a cup with the Penguins. Oh, okay, maybe that's why. So those would be the only two guys, but they're like I said they're both bottom six players. So, you know, yeah. to have a, have a guy like Keith who was a a key piece of three cup winners as opposed to like, you know, um uh, still sure. you know, like secondary players uh, on a on a cup team. It, it, I think it's a difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some there's that's the leadership they were hoping for probably with like Andrew Farrington with uh, Milan Lucic and stuff like that but I think he's an upgrade in that leadership role part right like he is the real deal I think he's a true leader um that that part will help I think whether it's an overpayment or not I mean if the Oilers go to Stanley Cup Finals that's not an overpayment
0: yeah and I mean there's the there's the whole third uh Third round pick that can turn into a second round pick if the Oilers make it to the Stanley Cup final. And to me, you know, you don't want to have to give away more assets than you than you already have to. But you know, good if they have to give up a second round pick, that means that they made it, you know, to the final series. I'm that's what we're hoping for, right?
1: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to get there, man, you need the guys who know how to do it, right?
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I just first want to say, like, I, I think Caleb Jones is a good player. I, I like him as a player. Um, I think he has the potential to have a seven to 10 year career in this league, probably as a third pairing defender who could play second pairing, pit, um, second pairing minutes in a pinch. But um, the frustration from Oilers fans really isn't about Jones getting traded, it's that Holland wasn't able to get Stan Bowman to retain any salary in the deal. And and I'm and I mean, obviously, I wish the Oilers would have been able to acquire him at only fifty percent instead of the full cap hit. That would give the team, you know, an extra, say, two and a half to two point seven five million dollars to spend in free agency. However, I believe the Oilers are a better team right now than they were a couple weeks ago because they have Duncan Keith on the roster. And you you mentioned this too, like he's he's not the player he once was, e- even five years ago, but. I think he still wants to come in and prove that he has something left in the tank. And I I think that he can still be an effective player, even at age 38.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, And then I I heard some of the rumors about recapturing if he retires and stuff like that, which, yeah, maybe that's good. But uh, yeah, if he plays one year or two, whatever, um, I would love to see them... Retain some salary too. I think salary is going to be one of the biggest obstacles the owner's going to have to figure out. Um, but but yeah, for sure. I think I I agree with you too. Caleb Jones is a good player. Um,
0: I was, yeah, he he skates well. He passes the puck well. It's just you know he still makes a some defensive errors, and I think that last season with it being such a short season and not a lot of room for error, Dave Tippett couldn't really keep putting him back out there. He had to ice the best possible roster that he felt could win that night. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily allow a younger player like Jones the the freedom to work through these mistakes and improve. Like they just had to have the veterans on the ice that they felt could, you know, get them the wins that they needed to try and get into the playoffs and make a long run. Obviously, they you know, they got in, but they didn't, they didn't go very far. It's just uh, he he got off to a tough start in January, and it seemed like he was fighting it a lot of the season.
1: Yeah, I agree with that for sure. The only maybe a little bit frustrating thing for me, and I'm not, a, I'm not a Tippett hater or lover, same with Holland. I'm pretty impartial. Like, I like them. I think they're, they're good at their jobs, obviously. But um, one thing I get frustrated with Tippett is it seems like he's a really short leash for his young guys. And he'll let Adam Larson struggle, Jujar Kara struggle and struggle, right? And you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, these kids are all playing them. Like, I can, I have more patience for, say, Evan Bouchard to make rookie mistakes compared right. to Larson, right? In the beginning of the season, Larson did not play that well, <clears throat> right? He struggled for, oh, a solid 15 games, I would think. And then he, he figured it out and he was phenomenal to finish the year.
0: Yeah, once he turned around, then he was, you know, their best all-around defenseman probably for the whole year. I mean, but <clears throat> you know, and we'll see if Larson's back too. That's a, that's another side point. But if he ends up re-signing with the Oilers, he could be a you know a good D partner for Duncan Keith and um, just just to bring it back to Keith for a minute, I, I think he's by all, like by all accounts from what I've read about him, he's still a physical freak. I mean, he averaged over 23 minutes a game for the 16th consecutive season last year. So even if his offensive production has declined, uh, he can still play those big minutes and kill penalties. And you know, while the Oilers will be counting on him to play a solid top four role, I, I think the intangibles that he that he brings to the table have value too. I mean, we we just sort of alluded to it before. He's won three Stanley Cups. He's made it to the conference final at least five times. And he was a part of the leadership group in Chicago during all those years, which, like we said, it's it's different from a guy like Archibald or a guy like Chaseon, who were on Stanley Cup winners, but they were, um, they were, you know, not the the key cogs to those cup winning teams. Whereas Duncan Keith was right up there with. Taves and Kane as the most valuable players on those on those championship teams so I'm expecting him to bring a lot of that veteran experience to a team like the Oilers who are looking to go on a deep playoff run next year and hopefully he can also be a mentor to some of the younger defensemen on the team like Darnell Nurse, Ethan Baer and Evan Bouchard.
1: Oh I agree for sure I mean he won he won Conn Smythe right? Didn't he?
0: Yep two uh, he's got two Norris trophies and one Conn Smythe trophy. So it's, uh, that's a pretty strong resume.
1: That shows you how important he was to that team, right? Like he's, yeah, that's going to be, that's Im- uh, immeasurable, right? And that oh, yeah. is, and it, I've heard rumors that McDavid was asking for stuff like that. and if that's- Yes,
0: that, that was out there that McDavid said, McDavid and Dreisaitl apparently both said how hard it was to play against Keith in the bubble last summer and that they'd love to have him on their team. So, you know, when you don't have to do everything that, your leadership group asks you for, but if it's possible to make them happy by bringing in a guy like Keith, then I say that's, that's a good move.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If they're looking for somebody with that kind of experience, then I think you, you just do it, right?
0: And the last thing sometimes I sometimes those are
1: the guys that push.
0: No, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I just said, sometimes those are the guys that push the team over the edge, right? It's the, yeah, just that, calming, like, okay, guys, I've been here, but I know how to do this. He
0: might end up being more valuable to the team come playoff time even than he is in the regular season. Now, obviously, we're hoping that he's a productive player all season as well, but um, when that puck drops for the first game of the playoffs, that's when uh, the, that's the Duncan Keith you traded for, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree, yeah. And, and we also talked about that uh, recapture that the Blackhawks would have to take on if Duncan Keith retired next summer and the Oilers would get the cap flexibility back. But the other thing I wanted to mention before we move on is that Holland also said it's very unlikely that Oscar Klefbom will be able to play this season. So when they put him on LTIR in October, that's going to free up an additional $4.1 million in cap space. So mm-hmm. it, it, that, I think that makes Keith's $5.5 million cap hit a little easier to handle And we also have to remember that this is a short-term bet. Keith is only under contract for two more years. It's not like he's locked up long-term. So whether you like the trade or not, I just hope Oilers fans are going to support him and share for him to have success here. Because, you know, we look at what a tough time Adam Larson had coming into Edmonton five years ago. It wasn't about the player. It was the player he was traded for. And because he had that Taylor Hall... Situation hanging over his head. It really took him a long time to shake it, and you could argue that maybe he hasn't ever entirely been able to separate himself from that, even all these years later. So I'm just hoping that Keith is going to come in, and everyone's going to be giving him a chance, and not dwelling on the fact that the Oilers took on his full cap support, and just hoping that he helps uh, helps the team win games next season.
1: Yeah, that I mean, that's what
0: that, that's where they're at, right? They have to win, they're- right? They got the two best players in
1: the league right now.
0: They gotta they gotta figure it out. This is the window. I mean, Dreisidel's under contract for four more years, McDavid's under contract for five more years. You 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 need to win a cup in those years. And I'm not saying they have to win a cup this coming season, but it's time to at least win a playoff series and hopefully a couple. Because if you start going on these deep runs to the third round of the playoffs and then eventually a Stanley Cup final, that's when you're gonna really start to Build that playoff experience that we want this core to have. We talked about what the Blackhawks did a decade ago. That's what we want the Oilers to ultimately become.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and that seems really they're kind of a little, a, a little late bit. getting there with these stars, right? They,
0: a little bit, but uh, you know they've got the foundation in place. The they they've have the the hardest thing to get, which is elite talent. Now it's just a matter of filling in the pieces around them, and uh, I believe that Ken Holland has started to do that over the past two years and he'll hopefully continue to do that this summer all right let's move on now to the oilers biggest signing of the offseason and that was ryan nugent hopkins who inked an eight-year extension worth 41 million dollars and a full no movement clause earlier this month so the new contract carries roughly a 5.1 million dollar cap hit down from six million dollars on his previous deal and it will keep him in Edmonton through the 2028-29 20, season when he's 36 years old. Ty, were you expecting the Oilers to re-sign Nuge, and what do you think of the contract?
1: Well, this is what kind of gives me a little hope for Larson too, right? Because there was a lot of rumblings, like Nuge is, they can't figure it out, Nuge isn't coming back, whatever, right? but. They banged it out. I think it's a great contract. Um, I think this is probably one of the first signs of a good player taking maybe a little less money to play in Edmonton, right? Absolutely. And a guy who wants to start and finish his career in in Edmonton. That's huge. Um, I think these are things that are good signs for the franchise in itself, right? Um, The term, like, who cares? We just said it. You got to win in that window of mcdavid and dry saddles prime right <clears throat> in six years i can't see 5.125 being too much for a guy like nuge even if he does drop a bit and becomes a a third liner or something right but i mean that guy he's he plays a game that i think is pretty sustainable he's not he's, his game isn't built on insane speed or a super hard shot or anything like that right he's I think he's got a game that he can sustain into a little older age than a lot of players.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's a very smart, <laughs> cerebral player. Those things will help. And he, and he still is a good skater. For uh, sure. yeah, You know, he's not, a, he's not an end-to-end blazing you know puck rusher. But yeah, it's, I, I don't doubt that he's going to be an effective player for a long time. And um, I've said this on a previous episode, but I wanted the Oilers to sign RNH before the season even started. Because I knew that there would be trade rumors leading up to the deadline, and there was obviously going to be a bunch of teams interested in him if he hit the market as a free agent. So it's just awesome to hear him say how much he wanted to stay in Edmonton and build something with this group. And it's like you said, um, you know how important it was for him to to stay as a part of this team and you know finish his career here because no oiler has ever gone start to finish with the team. Kevin Lowe and Ryan Smith are the closest thing to that. They both left and came back and they, they share the franchise record for most seasons as an oiler with 15. Well, if Nuge plays out this entire contract and he, it sounds like he will because he has a no movement clause. Well, that'll give him 18 seasons as an oiler. So, you know, he's going to break the record for most seasons with the team. He'll, he'll break the, he'll break Kevin Lowe's record for most games with the team. And, um you know for a guy like him who's the longest serving player on the team and has suffered through more painful seasons than anyone in that dressing room he deserves to win a Stanley Cup as as much as anyone on the team and i i hope that he gets to do that with the with this group yeah
1: yeah he's been such a good soldier right like there are a lot of guys nowadays that would that would hold out or want out or whatever he's he's never complained
0: he's no and you can't even really blame him. if he wanted to leave after the decade of darkness. I don't think too many fans could even blame him for, you know, wanting a, a different experience or to be on a different team. But the fact that he wants to see this thing through and, you know, coming to the team as a first overall pick in twenty eleven to the worst team in the league and eventually become a champion, that that says a lot about his character.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And the other thing is I I get that. With locking up Nuge, you know, like he took a he took a team friendly deal. I think we can say for you know just over five million. He was making uh, he was making six million on a seven year deal before that. And if he would have hit the open market, maybe he could have got six and a half, even pushing seven million. Because we know that teams will always overpay in in free agency. So I I wouldn't be surprised if if he could have got more money, and he probably left something on the table, but. The fact that he got that long-term security, I'm sure that means a lot to him. And um, it's like you said, maybe he won't be worth it in his mid-30s, but what's the salary cap going to look like eight years from now? We know it's going to stay the same probably for the next season or two due to the pandemic. But after that, with Seattle coming into the league now and injecting some money there and the new U.S. TV deal, I can see the salary cap climbing and climbing. And who knows, what if it's $100 million in eight years and then that five million dollar cap it doesn't look so difficult to to manage anyway
1: yeah for sure yeah i agree with that like he's in and you no know, even if it holds or it just goes up a little bit i mean five what that's less than what michael Backman makes in college. yeah i mean yeah it's it's manageable for sure
0: and we we have to remember that he would have been a very difficult player to replace in this lineup. They If they would have lost Nuge, they, I mean, they already probably need to go add at least two wingers this summer. And if you lose Nuge, well, now you're looking for another one. And mm-hmm. with with the lack of scoring depth on the wings as it is, it, it, it's very important that that they kept Nuge in you know what? Maybe he will become the third line center down the road. That's one of the things he has the versatility where he can play on the power play. He can penalty kill. You can put him out there in any situation and he'll be fine. You can trust him out on the ice. Um, He could play on the wing just as easily as he can line up down the middle. So um, uh, for me, it's a, it's a good signing. And if you look at his numbers, I, I know his, his even strength scoring was down a little bit this year, but he was on pace still for 25 goals and 55 points in a full 82 game season, which is right around his career average. And mm-hmm. like I said, if he can get back to producing a little more at even strength, he should be back in that 65 to 70 point range next year. Oh, yeah.
1: Like what would he have had if they would have left that dry line together, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that was that was the best season of his career in terms of points per game average and um, you know, I'll I'll even ask you, who would you like to see Nuge on a line with next season? Is it as obvious as saying reunite him with uh, Drysaitl and Yamamoto?
1: Yeah, to me, I mean, I think, I think Tip really made a big mistake breaking up that line, and and now we're looking at them kind of feeling each other out again, trying to find that chemistry. Like you you can see it's there, but it's not what it was, right? And
0: I think yeah, They didn't play together enough this year, right? I mean, they they were together for three solid months in 2019-20, and uh, I don't know even if they played more than two consecutive games together as a line all season. I mean, Nuge played the majority of the time with uh, McDavid.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that was, I, I believe, the main reason that they got split up in the first place, because all the best wingers were playing with Dreisaitl. And, I mean, it was working, so that's fine. Connor McDavid can produce with anyone, but that was during Dreisaitl's Art Ross Trophy winning year when when he was really thriving. I mean, Yamamoto was a point-per-game player for a small sample size. Nugent Hopkins was over a point-per-game player for a couple months. And, of course, Dreisaitl was leading the league in scoring. So when you have a line that's producing like that, to me, you don't touch it. You just let them keep rolling.
1: And I think, I honestly think, and sure at the beginning of the year maybe you couldn't do that, but with with Poohy Arvey coming up and being on, on McDavid's wing, I'm then then you put the dry line back together, right? Yeah. And you you figure out who who's gonna play left wing for McDavid. Yeah, But I don't well, think you touch that dry side of the line. It it's so yeah. good.
0: And and look, maybe they will find a right winger who can play with McDavid up there as well, although I would prefer to just give Jesse the chance to thrive in that role. And, you know, he he showed so much promise late last season. You don't want to discourage him by sending him back down to the third line. He, he was really starting to build something there. And it's more important, in my opinion, to find the left winger to, to complete that line. And if you can find a, a true shooter to take advantage of McDavid's amazing passes, then, you know, you're going to have two really strong uh, lines up front. With uh, McDavid, Puliarvi, and whoever they bring in, followed by Dry Yamamoto, and Nugent Hopkins.
1: Yeah, because I think Puliarvi is still, I mean, we're still seeing a, a boy learning how big he is, right? I mean, yeah. he's a big man and he still doesn't quite know it yet. And when he starts making room for McDavid and tipping pucks in and creating chaos in front of the net or whatever he wants to do, right? I mean, he's so big, he, he has a good shot. He, he was a little snake bit.
0: I mean, look, he had a rough start to the year. I think he didn't score in the first 13 games. And he finished the season with 15 goals in 55 games, which is on pace for 22 goals. So can he raise that even a little more next season and become a 25 goal scorer? You'd like to think if he's playing with Connor McDavid, even if it's all at even strength that he would get there, and maybe if Chason isn't back, he'll eventually take that spot as the net front presence on the power play. There's all these different options that they have with the guy, and I just think that, you know, we'd like to see the assist total go up a little bit, but uh, the fact that he's putting the puck in the net, that's a really good sign.
1: Yeah, and I think if if Maroon can score 20 with...
0: Yeah, 27! Why, can't, why you know, can't he? Even Ty, like Ty Ratty, he, he turned Ty Ratty into a, a that's a, a right. decent goal score. Now a smaller sample size than Maroon, but you know I don't think McDavid always necessarily needs um, a ton of skill around him. Like, I mean, obviously if he had a pure sniper with him, that would be, you know that that'd be great. It's but he he can if you if you put guys who go hard to the net with him, they're going to still be there to bang in rebounds, or he'll bank it off your shin pad and in because like, he's such a smart player. I just think um but but obviously getting him you know finding his left winger will be you know one of the top priorities if not the top priority for Hall in this summer.
1: Yeah. And it takes I think it takes a little while to get used to like to figure out how to play with yeah. him. Yeah. Right? It's not as
0: easy as you think. Like just because he's a superstar doesn't mean it's it's really simple to play with the guy.
1: Yeah. You got to expect passes when you're not expecting passes and speed that you can't imagine, right? Like
0: Yeah. And speaking of McDavid, I think that's a good time to transition over into talking about the big month he had. Obviously, at the NHL Awards, he took home the Hart Trophy as Most Valuable Player, as well as the Ted Lindsay Award as Most Outstanding Player, as voted by the NHLPA. Uh, He joined Gordie Howe, Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, and Alex Ovechkin as the only players in NHL history to win multiple Hart Trophies at age 24 or younger. McDavid also became only the second unanimous Hart Trophy winner in NHL history and the first since Gretzky in 1981 82. Ty, what can you say about the amazing season Connor McDavid had?
1: And yeah, that guy just wins when he's healthy, hey? Like, he's yeah. the MVP when he's healthy. He wins it every year he's healthy. Um, yeah, it's unreal, man. Like, 105 points in
0: 56 games. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it?
1: The, what was the? I think Marchand was third, right? So he's the highest on Euler with and he's 36 plus. Yeah, right. So you're looking at, yeah, that's like almost David had like 40% more
0: points than anybody. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He's like uh, then, then, then the third best scorer in the league. Yeah, it's so it's then, unreal. Yeah, and yeah, I think the
1: league is really failing themselves and not promoting him more. Like, the literally should be playing. They should be getting the Leafs' time slot, man. They should be. Ugh. They should be playing prime time games. I and wish
0: that it was like that. I really do. I, I, you know, unfortunately, the the fan base that Toronto has built up, and the fact that they play in our country's biggest city—I mean, that's that's never going to change. They're always going to be there. But you'd like to think that the league would do more to promote its biggest star.
1: Oh yeah, like <laughs> I don't know if that was real or not, but I saw like a thing on Twitter where they had the captain of the Edmonton Oilers was Andrew Ference. And that, that was
0: that was on uh, ESPN. They were they were promoting that hockey is coming back to ESPN next season after I'm not sure how many years it's been away. I think over a decade, and they I don't know if it was some intern who did that or if they are just that inept when it comes to hockey, but. They post a picture of Alex Ovechkin, probably a very recognizable name and face to even casual hockey fans in the states, and I'm sure someone googled get a picture of Connor McDavid and they just grabbed the Oilers captain that popped up on images and it was Andrew Ference of all guys like uh it 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 just made it look like they number one that they're they're not fact checking or not careful and number two that they don't really care.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that guy is a goal line. If
0: they... Well, we all know it. If he played for the New York Rangers or the Boston Bruins or the Chicago Blackhawks, he would be the, the face of the NHL, and he should be. But I... the, fact, the fact of the matter is, other than in Canada, how many, how many sports fans in the United States are really aware of what Connor McDavid is doing on a regular basis in Edmonton. It's very similar to what was happening with Wayne Gretzky in the 80s when he didn't really start to get as much attention as he deserved until he went to L.A., even though he was having these historic offensive seasons that no one was seeing it. The difference is, is that fans have more access, because of the internet, to see what Connor McDavid is doing. The league just chooses not to promote them as well as they should and uh, you know it's a shame because a lot of hockey fans in the states just have no idea what an incredible player this is
1: yeah yeah the league they need to get out of their own way sometimes because yeah like i mean you said even the wayne gretzky days right like the battle of alberta was the best hockey that anybody could watch and nobody watched it yeah (laughs) unless you you were from western canada or united states right like Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really weird.
0: <laughs> it is. Um I want to run through uh some of the uh, accolades and milestones McDavid hit this year. I won't go through all of them, but I mean, he really did have a season for the ages. And and just like Gretzky, it felt like when he was in his prime, it felt like every game McDavid played this season had the chance to be a history-making night. Yeah. And uh I'll I'll just I'll Talk about some of the biggest milestones, obviously, from the, the 2020-21 season for him. So, McDavid led the league in scoring with 105 points, as you said, in just 56 games. He also hit the century mark in only 53 games to claim his third Art Ross Trophy. So, with do, by doing that, he joined Gordie Howe and Wayne Gretzky as the only players in NHL history to win three scoring titles by age 24. He finished 21 points ahead of the runner-up, who was also his teammate Leon Dreisidel which was the largest margin of victory in the scoring race since Gretzky won by 32 points over Brett Hall in 1991. McDavid was only the eighth player in NHL history to record er, four 100-point seasons by age 24. McDavid had more assists than any other player in the league had total points other than Dreisaitl. He finished second in the league in goals and reached the 30-goal mark for the fifth consecutive season. McDavid tied Sidney Crosby as the eighth fastest player in NHL history to reach 500 points, he doing so in only 369 games. And finally, he broke Mario Lemieux's NHL record for highest percentage of points on team goals in a single season with 57.38. So all in all, I would call that a season to remember for the Oilers captain. How about you?
1: That is insane, isn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah. And this guy, I don't even think we've seen the best of him, Ty. I really think that his best seasons are still ahead. And when he's 25, 26, 27, uh, the potential is there, I think, for 150 points in a season. And it sounds ridiculous. Like, we haven't seen that in over three decades. And I'm sure a lot of fans think we'll never see it again. But. This season he was on pace for over a hundred assists and over a hundred and fifty points if it would have been a full eighty two game season. And I really wish we could have seen what would have happened if it was a full normal season. But he's in his absolute prime and the best the best stats we're gonna see from him are gonna come in the next years. So let me ask you, what do you think he's capable of scoring in the NHL, whether it's next year or the, the year after?
1: Well, yeah, I think we're there, right? Like he's gonna get a little bit of help on his line. He, I mean, he's playing twenty five minutes a night sometimes. Yeah, but yeah, like the guy that he—he's one hundred and five points in fifty six games. <laughs> uh, he's a—he's a second half player. Like he, he always finishes strong, right? So if that was an eighty two game season, I can't see how he couldn't have got one hundred fifty points there, right? I um, mean, he—he
0: he had more three point games than zero point games this year yeah that's crazy ridiculous you know how hard it is to get a three-point game and he did it 18 times or sorry 19 times this year which is the most in the salary cap era by any player and he only had a 56 pandemic shortened season to do it like he might have hit 25 three-point games if it would have been a regular season
1: yeah that's like
0: (laughs) it's just it's
1: these games were three-point games
0: yeah these are these are Gretzky and Lemieux type numbers and who would have thought that we'd be seeing this type of scoring in 2021 it's yeah. like he's he's putting up 1980s numbers in the 2020s
1: that's crazy yeah it's uh, so, it's, it's impressive right like
0: so you're yeah. with me though 150 points
1: <laughs> I I would say capable I, I can't yeah he could if they get a little bit uh, a little bit of help on his line yeah Julioff, he's still playing there and playing well like yeah, you could see. I could see 150 points there. I, I can't see the owner's power play <clears throat> not being near the top of the league, right?
0: I mean, he's averaged he averaged two points per game for a large stretch this season. If he ends up being able to do it for the majority of, of a, a normal season, that would take him pretty close, if not over 150 points. And um, even if he never gets there, I do believe that he will... This this coming season, I believe he will break Nikita Kucherov's high mark for points in the salary cap era of 128. I think he's going to get 130 or more points. Uh, I right, I think I pegged it recently at, at 135, I predicted, just to be on the safe side, which is crazy to say that that's like a conservative guess. But, 150. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, no one's had 130 points since Yager and Lemieux in 96. So we're talking a quarter of the century since before McDavid was even born. That's how long ago it's been since this happened. Um, And I just think uh, we're we are so blessed to be watching the most dominant hockey player we've seen since Lemieux. And uh, the fact that he's in Edmonton, they have to take advantage of these next few years and really compete for a Stanley Cup. Yeah. And just to wrap up here, I want to quickly talk about free agency. The Oilers, like we said, obviously need to add a couple new forwards to play alongside their elite centers. Is there a player or two that you hope the Oilers will target when free agency begins on the 28th?
1: <clears throat> well, yeah, man. It would be cool to have a Landis Gog or Taylor Hall come. I know yeah. it's kind of a polarizing thing, but, I mean, he wouldn't be the guy, right? Um. Yeah, I think we need to find a a left winger for McDavid. That's the biggest piece missing, right? And a a goalie, I think. Great, bring Mike Smith back, but that means Kostin can't be back. And and then uh, you can't run that tandem again, right? So I, I think I don't know, though. Like, what do you do? There needs to be some trades because they need to be smart with the money. So I guess it depends where it goes. Like, what can you trade for and what, then what are you missing after that? Right. So I mean, there's some good free agent goalies too. There's Breeder, Allmark, Grubauer. There's some good, there's some good players out there, but like you said earlier, teams overpay in free agency. So I, I I, I don't know the answer, but
0: I'm just saying who, who would you like? Like who would be your, your ideal target? If they could even just get one guy, if you said that's the one guy they're going to get in free agency, that's who I want.
1: Well, I would love to see Hall back. I okay. think it, I know like some people hate it, but I think Hall's got some speed. If he could play with McDavid, that'd be amazing, right? He he seems to have kinda found a a good style for himself and he's been healthy the last couple of years. I I think yeah. I'd love to see Hall back.
0: You know, and I, I try to think back to the one season that they were teammates in twenty fifteen, sixteen before Hall was traded and that year, I think they did start together pretty early on. And, um, Hall, and Hall and McDavid, they, they're both incredible skaters, which you know is a huge asset to have a winger who can keep up with McDavid. But I think that Hall needs to have the puck on his stick. He needs to carry the puck up the ice. So when there's only one puck, it might make more sense to actually have those two on separate lines. Now, I'm not saying you couldn't run them together, but maybe having Hall with a dry sidle, and they did have good chemistry back in 2015-16, maybe, maybe that's the duo that you put together and find someone else for McDavid. And I guess that would almost have to be uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins unless Dylan Holloway proves that he's ready to step up and take that spot. And I'm hopeful that Holloway will eventually um, graduate and fill that that spot as McDavid's left winger down the road we don't know what to expect from him because he does, he doesn't turn 20 until september so it might be a lot to ask for a rookie to handle first pairing minutes going up up against the opposition's best defenseman every night as a as a first year player but hall is someone who i'll be honest i would be interested to have back as well i think that oiler fans seem split on it half mm-hmm. of them half of them would like to have hall back half of them are done with him forever Uh, you're never going to get a consensus from everyone of what they what they want but the fact of the matter is is that hall would make the oilers better automatically like you you watch what he was able to do with boston late last season he as soon as he left buffalo and went to a good team his effectiveness just went through the roof and he was scoring a lot more and producing a lot more so i believe that that would be a a good fit if the oilers could bring him back and You know, there's always been rumblings out there that Hall wanted to come back to Edmonton and that he was, you know, really disappointed about the trade in the first place. So maybe that will happen. I think Gabriel Landeskog would be an even better target. Mm -hmm. And there aren't many guys that I would go seven years with in free agency or pay big dollars to. But Landeskog would be one of them just because I think that he is such a a smart player and a, you know, a, a sturdy player and a guy who can you can count on for 60, 70 points every season. It's just that that's the kind of guy that you need right now. We, you know, and like we talked about with Nuge, even if the last couple of years of that deal don't look great, you have to be thinking about the here and now. And you have to, you have the next, as long as he is a valuable piece to this team for the next five years, that's what matters. Because if you win a Stanley cup or get close to winning a Stanley cup, in the next five years, that probably means McDavid extends and plays another eight years in Edmonton and you have a chance to win more cups down the road, but you have to win right now. We have to show these guys that we're trying to put a team around them. And that's going to be the big test for Holland. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks what he's able to do. And um, I mean, maybe they'll even just get a guy like Brandon Sod, who's still capable of scoring 20 plus goals. If if Patrick Maroon can score 27 with McDavid, I think Saad could score 30 with him. Um, but you know, Landeskog would still be my number one target if if anyone.
1: Yeah, Landeskog is a, a good name too. I, the only reason why I was a little deterred is because of the money I've heard right? and that's a
0: lot of cash for him. It is, but that would be, like I said, one of the only guys I would be comfortable giving that kind of money to. It's yeah. not, you know, you in when in free agency when you give out. A lot of term and a lot of money I would say at least 50% of the time if not more it comes back to bite you but when you if you are gonna give that money to a player give it to a player with a history of scoring give it to a player whose body is going to withstand uh, the seasons and not break down like an aging power forward like a Milan Lucic right Mm -hmm. it's just it's about making wise decisions because you know that we we've seen with James Neal too when he first arrived in Edmonton he had a, a a short resurgence where he was scoring at will and then you know it dried up a little bit and he had a he you know he kind of had a bounce back here and there but um he's not the player he once was and I'm not saying he's the exact type of player as Milan Lucic but this is an example of what can happen when you sign you know aging players to big money but landis cog is one that i would be willing to take that risk on because i think if we if the goal is to try and at least get to the conference final next year a guy like him will help you get there a lot more than um you know some of the other names that are tossed out there like a zach hyman or something like that yeah yeah,
1: and that's, I mean, one of the beauties about Nuge is he gives you some flexibility, right? Like if you find, oh, yeah. if you do, say it is Hall, right, and he won't play well with McDavid probably. So then you do, you move, you move Nuge up there, right? And, and
0: I'm not saying that they wouldn't play well together. I mean, you put two, you put two elite guys together, uh, it, it will work. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, ju- it's just a matter of they're both play drivers and they're both such great skaters with the puck. It almost seems like you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. It, it would make more sense, I think, to have McDavid on one line and a guy like Hall on another line, who's not as talented as McDavid but can do some of the same things, you know. So, and, and of course, they're going to still play together on the power play, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do agree with you. I think I think their similar styles might make it hard for them to be line mates, but yeah. If you can get him i would love to see Hall back but landis too i mean you can't i don't think you'd go wrong with either one of those guys Depending for sure on, obviously right if if hall wants eight or nine million then no obviously that it,
0: look if he really wants to come back to edmonton though and ken holland says listen taylor we want you back if there's mutual interest let's make this happen but y- you know you have to take a team friendly deal here you you have to decide that being an oiler to you and winning a Stanley Cup in Edmonton is more important than chasing every possible dollar that you could get because if you are just trying to get as much money as as humanly possible it's not going to be here you'll you'll find that somewhere else but if the most important thing to you in free agency is getting a long-term deal and playing with the team where you started and trying to finish this with a championship then we have to we have to talk about a lower cap hit yeah absolutely and yeah, like you said, I think
1: Gogg is your better bet to pay
0: on, right? If you're gonna pay big money. Yeah. And he's a couple of years younger too, which helps. Yeah.
1: He's a he's a big strong goal scorer yep. guy.
0: So and he's and a- he can, Yeah, I mean he's he was he was the youngest captain in in NHL history until McDavid came along five years later and broke that record. So I mean and I mean you you, you always hear about what great guys Swedes are. I think adding him to the dressing room isn't going to hurt you at all.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think that'd be great. I think they're well on their way. I mean, who do you who do you target in free agency? I'm not sure cuz the <laughs> the wish list and the and the reality of the money is two different things, right? But, yeah,
0: and as much as people want to or, or some I shouldn't say all, but as much as some fans want to bash on the job that Ken Holland or Dave Tippett have done, because they haven't had any playoff success so far. I just want them to remember that they've made the playoffs in back-to-back years under these two guys. Mm -hmm. And both years they were second place in the division. They've had, you know, very solid regular season. It's just about finding that next level of success in the playoffs. So, yes, even though I'm disappointed that they got swept by the Jets this year as well, it it doesn't take away from the fact that the Oilers are still a good hockey team. They finished 11th in the league this year. They were 12th in the league last year. They're on the verge of becoming a top 10 team. And when you have guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl in their prime, you want to become a top 5 team sooner rather than later. And I think the time to do that is hopefully next season.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I mean, the, I I do agree that Tippet and Holland have created some stability and some uh, whatever. Some some moves you scratch your head. Some are great though, but yeah. I mean, how the hell did he trade Milan Lucic, right?
0: Yeah, and and look, I know some people are saying that uh, oh, the Flames actually won that trade. You know what? Mm-mm. James Neal might not be the <laughs> the player he once was, but I will still take James Neal over Milan Lucic right now.
1: The reason why. Neil wasn't in the lineup is because the others have, I think, a better set of forwards in the Flames right now.
0: And also, wasn't he one of the players who had COVID early this season? Yeah, I believe so. I don't think it ever
1: officially came out. That's okay.
0: Of- yeah. And I mean, we all know what that can do to drain the body of energy and everything. So I, maybe there were lingering effects to that all season, aside from him, you know, being 34 now and not the player he was when he was 24. So it's, uh, I don't think anyone was expecting him to score 30 goals this year. It's just, but he did have a hard time staying in the lineup consistently.
1: Yeah. And Lucic, he does play better in Calgary. He, I mean, they're, they're not a running gun like the Edmonton one. Right. So he's definitely better off there. But regardless just, of.
0: It's a shame we but, had to give up that third round pick. That was. Uh, that that was, was a head scratcher. You know, Neil has to score 20 goals for the trade to kick in and he gets 19 and then the NHL says, "Oh, well, you know, we'll round up." You know, if if he would have if if the season would have got wouldn't have been canceled, uh, you know, he would have hit 20. Yeah.
1: He was ice cold near the end of the year. Yeah, exactly. I I um, actually didn't think he was going to get it. Hmm.
0: And, and for the people who criticize Holland, what what does he do? He he ends up taking uh, the, the the third round pick from before and trading down to get a fourth and a fifth round pick, and and turning that into um, Savoy and Tulio. Like he, you know, he makes good use of these depth picks. And um, I know his first round picks have been criticized. Both years uh, from from some people, but Holloway t- is looking like he's going to be a real stud. And I mean, sure, the Oilers maybe could have taken a forward instead of Broberg. I would have been, you know, hoping for that as well. But uh, Broberg looks like he has the potential to be at the very, very worst uh, a top four defenseman, and maybe still a top two. We don't know. But the the fact that he's such a great skater with that that size and that frame, you know, that's encouraging for the future.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's the biggest thing that the Oilers have been missing for a long time is is making picks past the second round. Right? Yeah. So I yeah those are
0: I, well they've they've restocked the cupboards and I, I think the Oilers prospect pool right now is it's as as strong as it's been in a long time. So it's it's very encouraging going forward and you need these guys to start making their way up to the NHL and helping during the McDavid era. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it needs to, like, the time is now, right? So I think they need to be really wise with asset management, with cap management. Like, just because you have a bunch of decent defensive prospects, you don't give them away, you get stuff yep. them, right? And play smart.
0: And, I mean, just tying back to what we talked about at the very start, yes, giving up Caleb Jones, you know, you, you, you don't like to see a, a young defenseman like that go, but they have Samarukov coming, they have Broberg coming, these are guys who are going to be pushing to play on that left side. And when you already have Darnell Nurse as your locked-in number one defenseman of the future, there's only so many spots there. It's, yeah. you know, it, it makes sense that those could be eventually the guys. Broberg could eventually fill in to be the second pairing guy behind Dreisaitl. And then Sam Marukov is, you know, if, if he turns out to be the next coming of Adam Larson, well, then that's great, too. Because this is a guy who's got a big shot. He, he hits hard and he had you know, really good plus-minus in the KHL last year. He just turned 21. I think uh, the future is bright for the Oilers' blue line.
1: Yeah, uh, but I also think for the Oilers to win right now, they, they, we're going to lose some of those guys, right? Yep.
0: And you can't keep everyone.
1: Uh, no, but don't give them away. Make good moves. No, make good <laughs>
0: moves. <laughs> well, Ty, we'll listen, it's been great talking to you tonight. I hope that you'll be back on the podcast again sometime um, but before we go, uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? I am uh, at jones one um,
1: Yeah, I talk a lot of nonsense on there. Mostly <laughs> <hockey>.
0: <laughs> Okay. So everyone, please go give Ty a follow. Uh, like I said, awesome Oilers fan to talk to. And thanks so much for joining me tonight, man. Thanks a lot. It was a yeah. good time. So for Ty Jones, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.